0: hi everybody welcome to getting woke with dr chi hi that's my nephew he came in as i was recording my podcast i woke up early this morning and i read this phenomenal article um, that was published in social problems 2017 so this is kind of like my like my sociologically favorite things, like Oprah style, right? So it's a piece written by Jenny Mueller, and Jenny talks about the ways that colorblindness is not really a thing for whites. A lot of whites, for some of the whites, let's say. So she taught a class um, on race and racial inequality, and she had her her all of her students cross you know racial lines. She had them do an exercise in which they talked to their family members about the um, uh, policies that they benefited from, wealth um, transfers, um, things like housing, um, who, who helped you buy your house, all sorts of questions that I asked years ago when I was working for Thomas Shapiro in his Leveraging Mobility Project. In Euler's work, she talks about, talk, about this, um, this way that people are using ignorance to show that they know know, how racism works, but yet all of a sudden didn't know how race works. right? She describes it as a process of knowing designed to produce not knowing um, surrounding white privilege and structural white supremacy. So she analyzed 105 family wealth analyses that were produced by her white college students. And she found that um, these ordinary everyday white students were involved in just trying to maintain and defend white supremacy and racial domination that they experienced, right? And so it shows that people were engaged in things like all of a sudden, you know, they were they were interviewing their family members. So she showed how when people were interviewing their family members, some of them didn't even want to do the project. They are like, okay, I know I'm supposed to interview my family members about the ways that they um, acquired land or acquired their homes or how um, white, um, anti-black or how white racism has benefited them. I just decided not to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I don't, I don't feel like it, right? And so she's like, um, this is an assignment, but you're choosing not to do it. Okay, I get it. You're like in defense of maintaining this, this notion of colorblindness, right? This, no, this notion that Racism is not an issue that um, affects people of color negatively and that provides um, benefits to whites that they have not earned, right? And so another thing that she said was that like she was, you know, some of the students who actually did the assignment, right, that their family members were engaged in this willful color blindness where their family members were talking about how they were able to kickstart their wealth accumulation with the down, a home a home, a a down payment on a home, and how um, their family members had taken advantage of FHA loans to buy homes. And knowing that all these things were structured around providing whites with benefits, at the same time, the students were like, but race doesn't matter, you know? It's not about race. It's about, you know, just like working hard or, you know. One of the things that really struck me though was this person she had called Carmen in in her study where she said that she suggested how very difficult it was to tie any of the course readings to her own data that she had collected. Carmen had collected data on her family and she said that her family had no large ties to slavery or oppression. She's like, that just does not affect us, right? And then later on, later she revealed that her family had quote unquote dabbled in slavery until 1864. And she said that the ownership of slaves was not key to her family's wealth. As in, like, having people work for your family for generations has nothing to do with your being having wealth. She said that one of her ancestors carried a slave with him to the Civil War to cook and to tend to the horses. After the war, his slave stayed with him because he had nowhere else to go. But yet, Carmen's like... But this isn't an issue. This isn't, like, a way, you know, that my family has benefited from racism and from white supremacy. It's just, you know, a thing. You know, some people just decided to, you know, stay and some people decided to, you know, move on from, you know, slavery. It's like, um, girlfriend, that's not how this thing works. It's not how this thing works. But there's a student, right, who had learned all about how racism works, how racial stereotypes work, and yet still put in this weird thing of choice other students who participated in this study or who did this you know class assignment did all the work and saw how racial inequality impacted their family um giving them um allowing them to accrue honored unearned advantages but yet talked about how you know class is more important than race right like oh it's not about it's not about race. Like, yeah, my family benefited from like white supremacy and everything, but really class is the issue. Like, okay, boo. You just, that's not what your grandpa said, but okay. Okay. We get it. You know? And there's others who like, did that whole thing where they're like, okay, we are good people. It's like, who asked you if you're good people? I don't know why Americans are so concerned with like talking about being good people as if like racism, like doesn't give benefits or disadvantages to Good people, right? But anywho, this whole idea that, like, if you just like think about, if you just understand how race works, then you will then you'll be able to um, be good. If white people knew about systemic racism and white privilege, as Mueller says, we would act differently. That we don't act differently makes it obvious that we don't know. It's like girlfriend, and that's like the the idea that people um, were espousing in this assignment where they're like, oh, like once we know well, we'll, you know, act differently. And if we're, you know, being racist or if we're um, engaged in racist practices or um, reaping the benefits of unearned privileges, it's just because we don't know. It's because we're good people who just don't know any better. Right. And it's funny because then later on in her piece, she shows how people like the students themselves knew better. They had spent an entire semester learning about racial inequality, and they knew exactly how racism pointed, you know, played out. And they even learned about ways to end racism, right? They learned about um, different practices that would lead to a more equitable society, you know. And yet, when they even though they knew this stuff, a lot of them are like, "Well, I'm, I just don't. I don't know what I can do, and there's nothing that can be done." Like when asked about okay, so explain like okay, so you've done all this work now. Show let's talk about ways that um, you have learned that racism and white supremacy can be upended. And even though they read you know Thomas Shapiro's work, where he advocates a whole a slew of different possibilities, and in the Mueller piece, she talks about things like investing in public education, right, in not letting people hoard opportunities and supporting inheritance taxes, right? Shifting policies related to assets and reparations, right? Actually creating reparations for white individuals and individual families choosing to live in integrated neighborhoods or sending their children to integrated schools. Engaging in consciousness raising with other whites, right? These are all concrete ways that whites can help to make a more equitable socially cohesive society that our students learned and yet they're like and it's I do I not know. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's funny because like there's this idea like, oh, if you know better then like you'll do better. But that's not the that's not the case necessarily with white supremacy. That even though you know better and you've got the tools to do better, that, that whole white fragility thing, as Robin D'Angelo points out, comes in where um Mueller says that one of her students was like I feel so guilty as I write this paper because I think of all the people that have so much less than me. She says, I admit that when looking for a home with my husband after college, I'll consider the schools that are the schools that are present as well as the ethnic background because I would like my children to have the best education possible. This is creating racism. The student says, this is creating racism in a circular pattern where even I will annoyingly be racist. I feel so guilty as I write this paper because I think of all the people that have so much less than me. It's like, girl, you are not unknowingly being racist. You're actually very purposefully being racist and reproducing white supremacy. And so I really appreciate this idea that, you know, knowledge is not enough. Just knowing that racism is a problem is nothing. It's like, that's just like, not even the bare minimum. That's that's not doing anything. Educating yourself about how racism works like, having the education and knowing about how racial inequality is perpetuated, how it works, how white supremacy is maintained, is not even half the battle. It's not even a quarter of the battle. It's like if you're, like, in the army and you put your gear on, right? But you still have to be, like, getting the, in the truck to be taken to where the actual battle is, right? Like, you're just like, okay, I've got all my gear on. I'm ready now. And you're just standing there. Like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what to do. Right? No, 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 You know what to do. You got to get to the battle to end white supremacy and racial inequity and build a better society. Build a better United States of America. Build a better world. We can do this. We can do it together. But it requires action. And so people who are just like, oh, I just need to be educated. We just need to educate the masses. That's important. Don't get me wrong. You need to have your gear with you. But at the end of the day, you still have to come prepared to fight. And you got to you got to go to the fight. So I just want to thank Jenny Mueller for producing this excellent piece of research. And I've known Jenny for many, many years. We go way back to the cornfields of Champaign Urbana, where I did my undergraduate, and where she worked um, at um, the Office of Minority Student Affairs. So I just really want to like shout out Jenny Mueller for producing some really interesting work on race and how it is reproduced in everyday life. I'm sure it, it was hard for you to get your students to think about race in a society that likes to pretend that, you know. Everyday people don't have a role in reproducing racism. We like to think, okay, it's the police or, okay, it's those few, like, bad racist employers or this one dude who said something that one time. And that's just everyday good people. Like, you can still be a good person and help reproduce racism. Like, this is how America works. Shout out to you, Jenny. Good job. So I have this friend, let's call her M, and she's a woman of color, and she loves to tease me about having white friends. She's like, I only have room for one or maybe two white people in my life. She's a woman of color, and she's like, I just don't trust them. I don't like them. They get on my nerves, and they're always trying to be my friend. I'm just like, mm, I'm not really interested, but nice try. Whereas me, she's like, you, I just collect them. I was just like, you want to be my friend? Sure. Let's be cool. Let's be friends. Right. Um, and for a long time, you know, I have been very careful about the friends that I have. I am like, if you're going to be my friend and if you're white, then you got to be a woke white. I'm not, I don't have time to have white friends in my life who like to pretend that, you know, racism is not a problem, that they don't benefit from it and that they don't have to do something about it. Right. Like if you're a white person who's like, ah, I know racism is a thing, but, like, I, it has nothing to do with me. I, I just try to treat everybody nice. I'm like, hmm, you can't be my life, right? You don't have access to Dr. Chi. I mean, we could be cool. We could be friends. But, like, if you're not doing anything about it or conscious about, like, how to upend or create a more equitable society, then I just don't have time. You know, I'm, like, I'm middle-aged now. I don't have a lot of time on this planet anymore. So it's, like, i got to be very selective of the friends that I have, Right. And so that is my story of like how I have managed to collect white friends in a white world. And I'm just kidding. I live in the United States, right? So like the majority of people who live here are white. And um, I haven't lived in a black neighborhood in a few years um, since I lived in Philadelphia, which was lovely. Um, but I don't think that there's any benefit particularly to having white friends i also have a lot of black friends who i adore and i have friends i try not to judge people as far as what their race is i'm more interested in whether they are people who care about inequity and want to do something about it i don't have time in my life for people who are for example you know african-american who think that people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps to make lives better for themselves. I'm like, mm, we know how this capitalist system works. It involves people who are both exploiters and the exploited. And so structurally, there's some people who are just not supposed to do well for themselves, right? They just can't because, you know, because Marx. But anywho, <laughs> all this to say that I think that part of the reason why I have so many white friends is that I do live in a predominantly white, although multicultural city or town in New Jersey. But also um, as Emma's pointed out, like I've gone to predominantly, I went to predominantly white schools for college and also for, for grammar school. But I did have a lot of like anti-black experiences, anti-black racist, you know, racial discrimination when I was in grammar school. So my parents, my father specifically, did a good job of getting me, as soon as I graduated from this white school, he's like, you're gonna go to a predominantly black school. So I had the pleasure of attending Whitney Young, uh, which is a predominantly black school, or was in the 1990s, right? And there I had black friends, including black friends from the north side of Chicago, because I know Chicagoans like to pretend like we don't exist, we exist, just as black as everybody else. And, um, some of them who are still in my life, um, as well as people of other racial and ethnic backgrounds. And I think that my experiences at Whitney Young, as well as my experiences at my grammar school, Edison, um, made me realize that there are good people across racial lines, right? There are good people everywhere. At the same time, If I want to make a better world, if we want to create a better world, I have to be very cognizant of who is willing to do that work and who is going to do that work with me. Um, yeah, I'm talking. Are you bored? No more. No more? No. No more? I have just a little bit more, baby. Okay, let's see. Hello. Hey. Thank you for listening to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at at Chinere Osuji, C H I N Y E R E O S U J I. I'm also on Instagram at Chi from the shy, C H I from. D A and then C H I again. Um and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your day.